Hey there, I'm Kevin Daisy. And I'm Eric Olson. You're listening to the Managing Partners Podcast, where we interview top lawyers about how they're growing their firms. Hello there, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Managing Partners Podcast. I'm Kevin Daisy, and I'm your host. Always looking to bring in great guests. So if you're out there, you manage a firm, or you're another leader in the industry, um, whether that's in marketing, sales, coaching, whatever it may be, that can help these law firm owners and help them grow their firms. Love you to reach me, reach out to me. I'd love to have you on the show. You can always LinkedIn me and message me, and I'm happy to get to you. But we're always looking for great guests, and we have a great guest today. So we have Joshua Goldberg on the show, who I met through another friend of mine who's a law firm growth coach, uh, does really great things out of the UK. He connected us and uh, introduced us, had a good talk a few weeks ago. And now Joshua's on the show to share his story talk about his firm and, and what they do and how they really specialize and, and they really are specialists at what they do. So Joshua, thanks for joining me on the show today. Oh, thanks for having me, Kevin. Excellent. And uh, me and Joshua are both home today. We were just talking about that as I guess a benefit of the pandemic that uh, we're, you know, I can work from home, go to the office. My internet was down in the office today. So I'm at home just as easily as I'm at the office. So Joshua's mostly at home as well. So if anything happens in the background, we can't control it. One <laughs> <laughs> of the cons. <laughs> I apologize in advance for any barking dogs. Yeah, same here. And uh, kids are home. It's summertime when we're recording this. so But we make, make the best of it. So, Joshua, tell me your journey, your story, your background, and give the audience a little bit better idea of who you are, and then we'll, we'll how that frames up to uh, your firm. Absolutely. Glad, glad to uh, talk about that, Kevin. So who I am, as Kevin said, Joshua or Josh Goldberg, I answer to either, although it's usually my mother who calls me Joshua. I'm a native New Yorker, grew up on Long Island. When it was time to go to college, I went about as far away as my parents would let me go, went to Washington University in St. Louis, so more or less halfway across the country. And I went out there to study chemical engineering. I've always been a science guy. You know, the big choice when I was went to university was what science do I go into, not whether or not it's science or English or whatever it was. So I got my degree in chemical engineering, and I worked for a couple of years doing drug composition work. People always ask me what that means. So <laughs> if you imagine big companies like Pfizer, Merck, all those big pharma companies that you know of, they develop these new drugs, whether it's for cancer, whether it's for treating stomach issues, what have you. And then they need to figure out how to actually get them to where they need to get to in the body. And that's the part I did. I figured out, uh, I worked on how do you coat these drugs so they can pass through the stomach and get into the intestines. Uh, how do I put these drugs into a cap capsule or a tablet or a gel cap or whatever else it was. I learned an absolute ton doing that. Among the things I learned was that I was really not on this earth to be a bench chemist. So, you know, I used to go home to my apartment at the end of every day and my girlfriend at the time who I was living with, now my wife, I would walk in the front door and as soon as she got within say 10 feet of me, she would go, shower now, think <laughs> of chemicals, you're giving me a headache. I was working with chemicals all day. How could I argue with her? So I did it. 
you know, that wasn't the only reason, but it certainly didn't hurt. And I'd had a professor in university, not in my major actually, but he taught a class called the internal combustion engine, because I've always been a car guy also. And he liked to tell a story about his patent attorney buddy who had his ranch out in Colorado with his private helicopter that he took there and his half dozen or so fancy cars. And I'm thinking to myself, well, gee, you know, I'm a literate engineer. I could go to law school and have all those things. So why not give it a try? Uh, so that's what I did. I moved back to the East Coast, this time to Washington instead of New York. Uh, went to school, law school at George Washington University in D.C. Okay. And after I'd been there for about one year, I got a job at a smaller little IP boutique firm, patent boutique firm, called, at the time, Nathan Associates. Now, this was back in May of 97. Things were very different back then when you think about where we were computer-wise, technology-wise, all that. Yeah. Yeah. But I started, yep. But I started working there and I loved it. You know, from day one, I was writing patent applications and learning technologies and working with cancer drugs and things like that. And it screamed to me, yes, this is what you're going to be doing, right? This is your job. This is who you are. So I wrapped up, finished law school, passed my agent's exam at the patent bar, passed my regular bar exam to become a full patent lawyer. And I kept working at this firm, went from being a summer intern, gopher, pay on, whatever you want to call me. Now I'm one of the two owners of the firm. You know, the, the firm founder, Nath, Gary Nath, he retired some years ago. And now my partner, Jerry Meyer, and I, we own and run the firm ourselves. Uh, so, so clearly it's worked out for us. That's an awesome story. I mean, I try to convey this to my employees, and I have about 30 at this point. That, you know, every time you have an intern or, you know, entry level person and say, hey, you know, we want to create opportunity here and, and that there's a path. And I think that that's a hard thing to do in businesses to act, you know, to, to show a path and have them clearly see that they they have a future there for a long time. It's also easy, I think, to get caught up in, in the business and then, you know, employees might not see that path and you haven't really developed that path. But clearly for you, starting as an intern and now you're one of the owners, you know, that's quite a journey and not always possible maybe, but I think uh, as anyone listening, uh, young partners or associates listening to the show, that's totally possible to do depending on the firm and, and what their goals are. But uh, that's a really cool story. And really quick, I'll just up the web address. It is kind of on the background there with Josh and uh, you can see that there, but it's nathlaw.com. So it's N-A-T-H-Law.com if you're listening on audio. So N-A-T-H-Law.com. Go check out the firm, see what they're all about. And then we're gonna have Josh tell us what they're all about here in just a moment as well. So really cool story, Josh, showing that path from lowest level to the highest level. Pretty cool stuff. And I assume you're gonna invite me out to your Colorado house with your plane <laughs> and your car, right? Well, I don't have that ranch out in Colorado. And I have to say, if I did have that private helicopter, my fear of heights tells me I probably wouldn't get into it. So uh, I have no complaints, regardless. All right. Well, I invited you on the show to go to your ranch, but oh well. <laughs> I'll remember that for next year. Okay, Kevin? All right. Put it on the list. Um, Got it. Well, yeah. So let's talk more about your firm. So, you know, kind of heard your background and, and how you came up and the science of it all. What does the firm specialize? What is the real focus there? And what kind of clients are you helping? 
so that mm-hmm. the other lawyers listening in the audience can understand what your firm's like. And then also, again, hopefully there's always referral opportunities within this community that someone says, you know what, I don't have someone like that, or I need that specialization, or maybe I have some referrals for them for my clients. Tell us more about the firm. Oh, absolutely. So we're a, a true boutique law firm. We're at about 30 people right now, all focused on intellectual property. If you're looking for somebody to do your trust in the state or help you with personal injury case or anything like that, it's not us. I'll tell you that point blank. All we do, everything we do has something to do with patents, trademarks, copyrights, and trade secrets. That's what we do day in and day out. And people come to us because they have something new or different, something they've created, whether it's a new invention or technology, a company name, a brand for a product, you know, a new work of art, whatever it is, they've done something new and they want to make sure nobody can take it from them and claim it as their own. That's plain and simple what we do. We help protect whatever is innovative, whatever is different that distinguishes you from everybody else out there. So what does that mean? It means you come to us and you say, hey, I've done X. What do I do to make sure it's mine? And we'll file a patent application for you. We'll get you your trademark registration, whatever it is. We'll make sure everybody in the world knows it's yours. Not only here in the U.S., but we do it around the world, too. That's a big focus of ours. Most people think, oh, I filed my patent application. I'm covered everywhere in the world. And it's not that easy. You know, U.S. is a country. Canada is a country. Japan's a country. We each have our own national laws. If you want to have protection in every country, guess what? You need to file in those individual countries. And that's probably about half of our work is how do we get things done around the world? Now, the part that we don't do as much, and I say this because it's just as important to know what we do and as what we don't do, we're not litigators. I was about to add that if you didn't say it. So, yep. Because <laughs> when okay. we said that time, yeah. that was the big thing you said. Yep. We're not litigators. In fact, I think that one of my jobs for my clients is to keep them out of court as much as possible. Now, depending on what they're doing, how they're doing it, what their marketplace is, it's not always possible, and everybody recognizes that. But if there's any way to avoid that and avoid that huge expense, especially if you're a smaller company, and I work with plenty of smaller companies, I see it as you know doing a service to my client to avoid that expense for them. You know, especially if it means they come to some sort of licensing arrangement or sale or whatever, and they make money out of the deal. Excellent. Yeah, so you keep them out of trouble. You don't get them out of trouble. <laughs> Correct. Absolutely. And, you know, we all know sometimes clients like to do what they want to do regardless of the advice. And if they do, you know what? I'm there to help them anyway. Sure. That's okay, too. So your defense, not offense, <laughs> if possible. Yes, if possible. That's right. Actually, I think that's you know, what I like about it is you know what you want to do and what you don't want to do. Uh, mm-hmm. You're very straightforward with that. You're very specific about it. And to me, that from a marketing perspective, whether or not you're, you're doing active broadcast marketing, but just how you represent yourself. And when someone refers you, they're going to say, here's what they do. Here's what they don't do. And if they're looking for that, then you're, you're the right fit for them. So I think it's good to have those, you know, those boundaries set. Mm-hmm. So I think I see a lot of firms that just get they're I'll talk to one person, like a two person firm. And they're like, well, we do this and that and this and this and this. And if, if you need this, we'll do that too. It's like, you know, they can't be experts in all those things. There's no way. 
but I see mature you know, as people mature, the more mature firms, they tend to, if they don't just go big and start adding practice areas, they usually tend to focus and, and specialize. I didn't specialize for years. We, we were afraid to do it. Like, oh, hmm. we might not get work if we just say we only work with law firms. And so, you know, it took us a while to, to do that. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. when I start new companies, they're already niched, focused, all in. There's no, mm-hmm. as focused as you can get, as long as there's a market for it. <laughs> That's always the rub, isn't it? You have to find somebody who's interested in what you're doing. That's right. <laughs> so no, so that, I, I love that about you, what you guys are doing. Hey there, this is Kevin Daisy, your host and founder of Array Digital. If you're tired of wasting money with agencies that just can't get it done, then please check out my law firm, Digital Marketing Agency, at ArrayDigital.com. If you contact us there, you'll be sure to line up a meeting with me where we'll walk through your exact situation and come up with a plan for what you can do to improve your marketing results. I look forward to talking to you. Now back to the show. So you said around 30 folks, that's um, how many attorneys versus staff? We're currently at about uh, 13 attorneys, the rest staff. Well, I should say attorneys and patent agents because we have a couple of those also. So they're not technically attorneys, but we treat them like attorneys. Sure. Do they come from the patent office? Do they have like inside knowledge? We certainly have our share of ex-patent examiners. Actually, I think every patent agent at the firm was an examiner first. So yes. So again, you got that, that insider track on, on what the processes are like and timelines and turnaround. And I think that's always, the, I've been part of the technology council in my area for a long time. Mm-hmm. And while most people are over my head with their technology know-how and, and science and all that stuff, but I've been in a lot of conversations with patents and, and stuff like that. And we have NASA here and a lot of other things like that. So I helped build like a database years ago for ex-NASA engineers that were retiring and all that knowledge was just kind of like going to the wayside. So we created a database where we were trying to take NASA engineers that were still fairly young. They were just retiring and they could go on and do something else. But we're trying to say, how, how can we start companies by identifying an engineer with a, an idea or a patent mm-hmm. and then arrange them with a money person, a CFO or a, a business person that could run it and then try to form companies in our region and keep the economic development going here. So I got to learn a lot about those things, but it's always how much does the patent cost? How long does it take? You know, that's the obvious question for everybody every time. Yep. What do you need to do to prepare for it? What do you have to have? And I don't know if I ever really got a clear answer from anybody, but I feel like it's always kind of a, an unknown for folks. So. Well, I, I can actually answer those questions. Yeah. So at, to ask you, I guess, right while you're here, um, when someone, if I was going to file for a patent right now, maybe it depends on what it is. Mm-hmm. What's that process like? What's the turnaround like? What's the general cost of something like that? Sure. So there are a few different moving parts and a few different options. They're going to impact both the cost and the timeline. But what I always tell people, unless they have an urgent deadline, you know, if something needs to be done tomorrow, it needs to be done tomorrow. And that's that. Aside from that, I always tell people it's best to start with a patent search, right? You want to see before you file your patent application and go through all the expense and time and effort, do I actually have something that I invented or hasn't been done before? You know, just because you don't know that it's been done doesn't mean somebody else hasn't done it. So we start out with a patentability search 
just to see what's out there. What do we need to worry about? What else has been done that's similar? What's our path to getting you a path? And we would typically charge about $750 for that. Our turnaround time from when we got started is usually, say, in the two to four week time frame. So if you came to me tomorrow, somewhere two to four weeks from tomorrow, I'd have a report for you that said, okay, yes, you do have an invention or here are the things that you would need to consider. And then you would have an invention, things like that. Okay. Sure, okay. I mean, yeah, yeah, there's what, 7 billion people in the world. I assume uh, there's a lot of information out there. There sure is. (laughs) And, you know, there are a lot of different kinds of patent searches you can do. This is kind of the easy one where we're looking for anything that's directly on point, right? Is there anything that's absolutely, truly going to block you getting a patent? Gotcha. Assuming we get past that stage, you know, we would most likely want to file a patent application for you. And most often we go straight to filing what we would call a regular utility patent application, something that would actually mature and turn into a patent. There are other options out there, but this is what most people are interested in. For most people and most companies, it's what makes makes the most sense. Generally for us, that timeline is say four to eight weeks from start to finish of starting to work on the patent application, getting it on file at the patent office. Then once we do that, there are two options. Option one is you do nothing, you file it normally, and you'll probably get through the process in two to four years. And yes, it is two to four years. Two to four years, everyone. Okay. For all you attorneys out there with inventions, it's going to take a little while. It's going to take a little time. Now, I can tell you, I can get you through the process within one year. Okay. It's going to cost you a little extra money. You have to pay more money to the government because, as we all know, it's a government entity. They like their collecting their fees. Pay to play. You pay to play. You got it. But if you pay extra money, it's about $2,400 if you're a smaller company, about $6,000 if you're a bigger company. You go to the front of the line, and you can actually get through the process in one year. Now, does that mean you're guaranteed to get a patent? Of course not. I can't guarantee that for anybody for any reason, but I can guarantee by the end of that year, you'll know where you stand. Okay. Now, reasonable, I guess, especially, you know, if that patent's very important to, you know, your product, your business. So that seems fairly reasonable. And then of course you got to pay you. You got to pay me. That's right. So to, to prepare and file a patent application, you're usually looking at somewhere between five and $15,000, depending on the technology and the complexity. You know, if it's a simple device, a widget or something, it's closer to the $5,000 end of the spectrum. If you're talking about a complicated biotech invention, you know, you're getting closer to the $15,000 end of the spectrum. And, you know, it could be anywhere in between, depending on who you are and what you do. Interesting. Makes sense to me. Yep. And then... If you're interested, we talked about it a little bit. I don't want to forget to bring it up again. If you're interested in protection around the world, you have to do more things to file around the world. Uh, Generally, within one year, whenever it is you first file the patent office, you need to do something to either file around the world or protect your rights around the world through what's called a a PCT, Patent Cooperation Treaty Application. And of course, whenever you do something, it's going to cost a little money. So you're going to have to budget for all of these. Interesting. Well, I guess so... That's helpful. I mean, I think uh, having an update on that for myself anyway, hopefully others listening uh, that maybe dabble in other uh, investments or whatever they may be. For the law firms listening, the, the managing partners and, and people that work at law firms, 
What should law firms themselves, so say I'm a personal injury firm or a divorce firm, what things should I be protecting for the firm? Maybe I have copyrights of my own or processes or things like that, but what, what can other law firms that don't specialize in your field, what should they be protecting? Is, is there certain things that they should be thinking about? Oh, they grow their firms. Yep. So no matter what, if you own a business or operating a business or running a business, I can pretty much guarantee you have a business name that you use so that if people want to find you, if they want to find Array Digital, Kevin, they can mm -hmm. find Array Digital, right? Yes. You can trademark that name so that nobody else can pretend they are the same business as you. If people want to work with you as Array Digital, they look for Array Digital and they find you. Getting a trademark on that name helps you stop others from competing that way. Now, if they want to call them something else and do the same thing as you, hey, this is America. We're all for free and open competition here, but it has to be free, fair, and open competition, not stealing from somebody else. Sure. You know, same thing if you have a logo that you use. Uh, you can protect that logo. If you have any special product that has its own name, you can protect that also. So these are the low-hanging fruit that just about any company can, can protect. Now, when you get to law firms and managing partners of law firms, do you have any specific documents you use that you can copyright so nobody else can offer your same documents out? You don't want anybody using your materials to copyright protect it, and then nobody else can copy them. They might be able to summarize and make a, a derivative work, but they can't use your stuff. That's the yeah, I can see that with, you know, I've seen a lot of firms these days that are they're growth mode firms. They're, they're going from city to town to town to town, and, and we have some clients like that. And they, they're obviously there to compete and they're going to be bumping heads with other firms that probably would be like, Hey, what are they, where'd they come from and what are they doing and, and how are they doing that? And you can think easily to get a hold of, Hey, it'd be nice to get, if we could get some of their material or see like what they're doing for sales. And, and, and that makes a lot of sense to uh, want to protect those things, especially if you're causing noise in a market. <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yep. You know? oh, I think absolutely. that's something you want to protect for sure. Yeah. 100%. Now, there's nothing that's foolproof. You know, like I said, can somebody make a derivative work and get around copyright protection by making their own version? Of course they can. There's no way to stop anybody and everything. But sure. you want to make sure that people recognize you as an innovator for what you've innovated and that they come to you as, if nothing else, the original. You know, you're, you're the OG. You're the one that everybody should come to. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, that's awesome. And, you know, obviously everyone... Every firm should be developing their own processes and their own systems. And there's a lot of a lot of things that go off of. There's a lot of books that I follow. There's a lot of um, you know people I can you learn from. Mm -hmm. So a lot of folks do the same way. But I think you know as you're developing your own customized processes and and you want to sell the firm one day and yep. like hey we have all these systems and processes that the owners aren't needed anymore. Like you have something there worth protecting for sure. Absolutely. And you know one way that is can be counterintuitive and a lot of people don't think about it you don't actually file to protect anything but you keep it as a trade secret right wow. so you keep it under lock and key you only let certain people at your firm access those pieces of knowledge it's so that you know it, it is a secret it gives you a business advantage nobody else can take it from you it can last forever as long as you can keep it secret and as long as you can use it but the key there is you have to be able to keep it secret because once that secret <laughs> is gone, guess what? It's gone. There's no getting it back. No, 
not these days. <laughs> no, absolutely not. You know, and if anybody follows uh, litigation among some of the big tech companies, you know, Google and Waymo have been in huge trade secret litigation out in California about driverless cars. Tremendous. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, some people leave one company, go to another. Do they take everything they learned? And is that stealing the trade secret? Sure. Depending on the contracts and what they actually took with them and what they knew, it might be. It might not be. I don't know. But that's what they're doing. Companies like that would have non-competes against going to yeah. this other company. <laughs> but, that's right. Again, you're talking about California. In California, non-competes. I mean, yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm Virginia, I think they're not enforceable. You, not you can still have one, but yeah. I don't think they're enforceable. So what's the point? Exactly. <laughs> well, that's all very interesting. So yeah, for, for any lawyers listening out there, yeah, if you're, you're doing something different, you know, in your market or the way you price things or the way, you know, and in some states you can do things differently. Some law firms are kind of dependent on what state you're in. You're, you're kind of stuck with, with how you do things, but, but I see a lot of cool firms doing, you know, fixed rate and flat fees and all kinds of cool stuff. They're all technology driven. They're, they're hundred percent remote, mm -hmm. uh, just doing some really cool things. And, you know, if you're scaling a firm across the country into different markets, then you're going to definitely call some attention yep. to yourself. Yep. <laughs> so think about the <laughs> things that you need to protect. And I'll tell you what, not just for you and your firm, but you know, I'm out there talking with people a lot. I network and, you know, over the past three years, the pandemic and all that, I've been on more Zoom meetings than I can count with people I either knew or have met and learned. A lot of people don't know what they should be asking their clients or what keywords they should pick up on when their clients say something that, hey, I can bring a value add to the people I'm working with and for. And clients love it. Even if you don't get to keep that work for yourself, clients love that you're thinking about them. 100%. That you're looking out for them. And, you know, anytime you have uh, someone you're working with come to you and say, yeah, I'm doing something new. I have this new product line, something like that. Your ears should pick up. Oh, something new. What have you done to protect it? What have you done to make sure you don't have competition? Yeah, good point. And I know for my clients, I try to, when they do come to me, which I hope they do, and it's essentially they're local. You know, sometimes, hey, uh, who do you use for your accounting firm? Who who does your business contracts? Uh, mm -hmm. You know, you want to be that resource to your clients. And I think having that, you know, your ears open and awareness to say, hey, it looks like you guys are a little shaky on your finances and reporting. Like, do you need a CPA or someone I can recommend to you? But I think that's as lawyers or especially if you're business attorneys that don't do this certain work, then keeping your ears open, I think is, and making those recommendations is great. Absolutely. And, and I can only speak from personal experience. Whenever I've helped a client with something like that, it's always not only helped the client and really, you know, done something important for them, but it's made me look good and it's made them want to keep coming back to me for whatever it is they have going on. Oh, sure. And referrals, you know, they're yep. going to appreciate that. So I know for me, like I get, I get referrals here and there and from clients, from attorneys, and they're not always a good fit, but I always say, uh, take the call. Yep. I always talk with them and I tell the referrer what's going on. Hey, I talked with them. Uh, they weren't mm -hmm. a good fit for us, but we referred them to these other companies that I trust and have worked with before and let them know. I think the worst thing is when you refer someone to somebody and then you never hear anything. And then maybe a year or two goes by, oh yeah, we've been working with them. You know, they didn't, yeah. you know, didn't tell you or let you know or nothing like that. So I think just, I'm always like, I'll talk to them. And I'll help them either way. And uh, 
And that might be saying, hey, you can't afford us or we're not the right fit. And I think most people, they, they don't, I've heard, literally heard tons of people say, oh, I don't want all these referrals because I don't want to turn them down. And, or I, they feel like they have to take the work on. Like, no, you don't have to do that at all. Like stick to what you do, be clear mm -hmm. with them. Mm -hmm. And if they're not a fit, that's okay. Absolutely. Couldn't um, agree more. And I think as, as early on, either attorneys or, or even me, you want to take on everything, right? And mm -hmm. you're trying to figure mm -hmm. out just how to make a dollar at the first couple of years, but it's better just to, to stick to what you know, and that's going to be better for the client as well. If you're not knowledgeable and you're trying to wing it, yep. or, you know, try to figure it out, then it ends up being bad. And that gets back to the referrer. That's your friend or whoever. Yep. So just don't do it. Put pass it on to someone else. Absolutely. And I go by the position. If I can't do it well, I don't want to do it because that's my name. That's my reputation on the line there. It's just as easy to say, hey, how about talking with this other person? and not ruining anything. I think that's a great idea. And I, I had a guest on the show not too long ago. He's personal injury and he does litigation, but he no longer does, it's uh, James Grant. Mm -hmm. He no longer does it for consumers mm -hmm. or individuals. He just is the back office litigation for other personal injury firms. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of personal injury firms don't litigate. They just mm -hmm. go, they settle. And if they go, if they need to litigate, they refer it to someone mm -hmm. else or they just don't touch it. His business model, he's actually being the, I'll litigate for you. Mm -hmm. He gets a fee, they get a fee, but he takes care of their clients. Mm -hmm. and they get to continue to serve that client, but now they're not trying to litigate when they're not really good at it or mm -hmm. have the, the funds to do it and they're bringing them in. So I think it's a pretty cool business model. But No, that's a really interesting business model. I haven't heard <laughs> that one before, but I can see how that would actually really work. So he now markets to just personal injury firms instead of marketing to me and you as individuals get hurt in a car accident. Right. Which we know takes a lot of money to do. Oh yeah. <clears throat> to have that marketing machine and advertising. Well, now you just have to, to knock on the door of each personal injury firm <laughs> and that's a lot easier to do. Yep. I fully agreed. No, that's great because it also shows that he knows who he is and he feeds right into that. Yeah. So it's a good example. I think of, uh, you know, standing in your lane and, and doing what you do best. And so it'd be like you finding like a, a litigation partner, you know, like yep. we don't litigate, we just keep you out. And if you need litigation, I'm sure you refer them to someone else. So absolutely. It's something we've done more times than I can count, quite frankly. <laughs> All right, cool. I'm going to start a litigation uh, business, intellectual property litigation. There you go. Well, I, I, when you do, just let me know and I'll be right there with you. When I go to law, law school first, I'll let you know. Fair enough. I don't think I'm going to make it make it out. So, Well, Josh, I appreciate you coming on to share your story and, and what you guys are all about. I love how you're you're focused. You know what you want to do. You've been successful. You know, what, what's kind of the plans for the firm? What's your, your growth or strategic positioning, anything like that? Sure. So, you know, for, for a long time now, we've been very much focused on organic slow growth. We have had periods of rapid growth before, and they're interesting. You eventually want to run into problems one way or another when you go through rapid growth like that. Some of the problems can be good, not all of them, but you are going to have problems. So we've really been focused on that slow growth. I have to tell you, this year, I've been as busy as I can ever remember being. Uh, and I'm in the process of hiring one or two people through that slow growth because suddenly the work has come in and I'm a firm believer is you get the work first and then you figure out how you're going to do it. I don't want to pay people to be sitting on the bench for long periods of time. <laughs> so I have the work now. 
Now I'm bringing in people to get it done. And then once I have those people in and we can kind of calm and settle down, then I'll be able to focus on the next thing. I think that's great. I mean, yeah, to your point, if you want to be that fast paced scaling growth, there's a lot of challenges that come with it. And yeah, so if you're either in that mode, you're young enough to be in that mode or whatever it may be, you could be 70 and be in that mode, I guess. But uh, it does, it comes with challenges you have to be prepared for. And you're either excited about those problems and challenges because mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, problems are good things, right? Uh, it means you're growing. That's uh, right. Or, you know, like you're saying, you know, predictable, slow growth and really knowing where you want to be, I think is, is also a really good place, good place for you to be. So. Absolutely. But no growth is not good. <laughs> and I've had no growth periods before. And I got to tell you, it's not fun. Yeah. You're looking around like, what do I do now? I don't know. Let's try something else. Cause this isn't working. Yeah. So as long as you're growing, that's good. You just don't have, you don't have to grow as fast as everyone else. If you don't want to Right. Uh, do, it, do it the way you want to do it. And it, it's funny, you know, I, I know a lot of folks that they have plans for crazy growth and these crazy ideas. And you got the ones that are just very well organized and stick to their, their good work, put their head down and they, and they grow faster than they planned on, you know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and it's just doing good work and having processes in place and things like that. So then I was like, hey, how they do that, you know, and it's not always that clear, you know, mm-hmm. but the ones that set out to do it don't always accomplish it. And so you don't want to be, I guess, too blind or was it, what's the saying? You can't see the forest for the trees. Yep. So you might be focused on growing, but you're not, you know, there could be things out of whack or your, your work's not being done properly or, you know, you're not focused on, on all the core areas you need to focus on. So Absolutely. Yeah. You got to be careful. Yep. And I've, I've lived some of those hard lessons. So it's okay to make mistakes. It's less okay to make a mistake a second time. All right. There's your tip for the day. There you go. Don't make a mistake the second time. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> and if you, and if you have something to protect copyright, trademark, business name, law firm processes, whatever it may be, protect yourself. That, you know, I think one of the things I've, I've talked to with a few different um, intellectual property attorneys is always the sooner, the better, because if you're out there, you're, you're like, well, and everyone wants to say, well, let me just put this out there and see, you know, how it's accepted. And, you know, you're kind of doing a lot of damage there. If, if it does become something that takes off and you, you haven't protected it. Yeah. Right. No, so. I couldn't agree with that more. The sooner, the better is always right. And especially if you do have a new invention, a new technology, if you wait until you get it out there and either you start selling or you publish or whatever it is, you're doing a real disservice because you might make it so you can't, depending on how long it's been and how long it's been out there. So don't wait. Please don't wait. <laughs> okay, awesome. All right. Well, Josh, I appreciate all the information as far as you know, patents and intellectual property. And then again, uh, your firm and how you guys have uh, c- come a long way and, and where you are now. So I think it's great what you're doing. It seems like you okay. have it under control. And just appreciate you sharing. So everyone, please connect with Josh. The website again is below here on your screen. Another way you can connect with him, we connected on LinkedIn, I believe. So you can just look up Joshua Goldberg is in Brooklyn, New York, and I'm sure he would be happy to connect back with you and and have a discussion. So Josh, anything else you want to share before we go? No, just Kevin. I really appreciate your time. I really appreciate being here and it was a lot of fun talking with you. Yeah, always. I love, I love these chats and I just like to see where they go. And just have a fun conversation. I love business. I love talking to attorneys about their business. And so uh, I could do this all day. So again, I do appreciate you coming on. And I think we connected through uh, John McCarthy. 
That's correct. Sure did. Well, he was a great guy, law firm, growth coach out of the UK. Mm -hmm. uh, works with a lot of firms over there in, in Europe and he connected us. So yeah, get out there, connect, talk to people, connect with Josh. And uh, hopefully there can be some referral partnerships established through this episode. And uh, that's it. So everyone else, we'll, we'll see you soon. Thank you for joining us for another episode and we'll get you on your way. We'll see you guys later. Thank you so much, everyone. Hope you enjoyed listening. Bye. Thank you for listening. We have been producing this podcast for years, have had hundreds of guests and produced hundreds of episodes. We don't ask for much, but I do have one ask. If you find value in this podcast, please share it with one person just like you. The best way to do that is to send them to ArrayDigital.com where we have a full library of all the episodes that they can sort by practice area and or state. So again, we appreciate you listening and thanks for sharing.